good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you ladies out there. We are thankful for you and appreciate you. And um, I just want to make sure you recognize that. And men, if you forgot that, um, just tell her you had a really big surprise when you got home, okay? And, um, but we're glad you're here. Um, there's a couple of announcements that you can look at. Um, men, this Saturday, the Sons of Thunder are getting together. We do need you to register for that. Um, you can either do the QR code, or if you don't do QR codes, then call the office and let us know you're coming. So that way we can buy the right amount of barbecue. It's going to be a good time of this fellowship with the men. Ladies, to come to the wells next Sunday, and um, you can see those. And then also there's some information about our deacon election that's coming up. And so you can see those names and begin to pray over them. But we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship today? We're going to do our welcome and have you greet one another, and then we'll have our time of baby dedication, family dedication today. So why don't you stand up and greet one another? We're glad you're here today. Good morning. As we come to this time just to dedicate the babies and give thanks to God for them, I remind you this is not for their salvation. Um, they get saved when they ask Christ to come into their life at a later state. But our hope is they'll come to do that quickly and as soon as they, they understand the need for that. And, and that's a part of what we're doing. We're giving thanks to the Lord for life and also dedicating them and asking the Lord to, um, to bring them up quickly. To come and see him and, and meet him soon. So let me introduce you to a few. This is Mr. Murray Hayes St. John. Um, Locke and Sydney are mom and dad. Um, Murray is, if I remember, is um, Sydney's late grandfather's uh, middle name. And then Hayes is um, Joyce's maiden name. I was just laughing with Locke the number of times I went to see Mr. Hayes. And he was worried to death that Steve was going to burn him out from the top of the hill. And um, I don't know what he did, but we had some great conversations. But we are so thankful um, for, for y'all and so thankful for this, this young man. And, and I was thinking just a verse that's one of my favorite is um, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Like Sydney, we're hoping that that would be true of him, of Hayes, as he comes. And for that to happen, you, mom and dad, need to dedicate themselves to bringing them up in the Lord. And so we just ask you today, are you dedicating yourself and, to him and for the church to, to bring him up in the things of God? Amen. We're so proud of you. Family, um, there's a bunch of you back there. If you're related to this young man, how about standing up? Yeah, we're glad you're here. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you so much. And then Chris has a Bible and a certificate. Um, I keep my little Bible I got when I was, I think it, I might have been one, but it's right behind my desk, and it's a constant reminder of bringing my own children up in the Lord, but just a reminder to you to bring him up in those things of the Lord. And then let me stand over here out of the way. This is Mr. Silas Gregory, 
and then Miss Mary Lawrence, and this is the Sanders, Jared and Hannah Sanders, um, new members of our church. Both have, obviously, biblical names, but um, Silas's middle name is after um, Jared's father, and Lawrence is Hannah's father. Um, I just thought of a couple of situations. One, they did not dedicate Silas when he was younger, and they want to do that now. And, and I was just thinking about, um, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were put in jail. And they had been beaten, and they were there. But at midnight, it says, Paul and Silas were singing, praying and singing hymns to God. And I just thought about that, and my prayer is that this young man, not that he'll be in prison, but that he, or that you'll be in prison, but that he, no matter what happens, will sing praises to God and worship God. And so for that to happen, Mom and Dad, you have to commit to bringing them up to the Lord. And we ask, are you making that commitment? All right. And then also we have Miss Mary Lawrence. Um, Silas was born on November 11th, 2020. Mary Lawrence May 3rd, 2022, and she's going to rule the roost, you can tell. But um, I was just thinking, with the name Mary, um, Luke 10, 42, where Martha comes and scolds Jesus to, for Mary, and says, Mary has chosen the good portion, and our heart will be that this Mary will sit at the feet of Jesus and get to know him. And again, we're asking you to commit to bringing him up, her up in the things of the Lord. And so Chris has a Bible for you and a certificate. And then if you're part of their family and represented, would you stand? I know you're over here on this side. We want to welcome you and thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you. If you, do, you can just stay standing for a second. And also those with, um, with Hayes, if you'd stand back up again. Um, I just remind you that, um, that it takes family to bring children up in the Lord. And we just want to ask you to commit to doing everything you can to bring these children up in the Lord. And then church, would you stand with them if you're willing to be the people that God's called you to be? Let's remind you, um, as we say many times, that there doesn't need to be a difference in your Sunday life and your Monday life. They shouldn't see something different about you on the ball fields than they see about you in the church. So I hope that you will commit to being the witness that God's called you to be and bringing them up. And we want you to pray for them. If you feel good and got a shoulder that'll allow you to do it, we just ask you to reach your hand out toward them. And Chris is going to lead us in a prayer for this family. And So let's pray for them. Father God, we stand before you and we rejoice in these children. We rejoice in new life. We rejoice in the promise of hope and life and in your goodness and we give them to you and we lift these families up to you and we pray for them now that your blessing will continue to be upon them that your spirit will continue to lead them and that they will walk in your spirit and in your goodness and in your truth and that they will raise these little ones to know your love to know that they're created in your image precious wonderful fearfully and wonderfully made and so we lift them up to you and we lift up the families of our church. Uh, we thank you for the mothers that are here. We thank you for the spiritual mothers. Uh, all those ladies that pour into their kids and pour into other kids and pour into youth, Lord. Uh, we thank you for them this morning, Lord. We give these families to you. We pray this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Would you please join me for the call to worship this morning? It comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. the scripture reading in this morning but they're in Greece we didn't know that if he got someone or not so <laughs> we're going to do it it comes from Job first chapter verses 13 through 22 one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news your oxen were plowing with the donkey feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While I was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaspheming God. This is the word of God. Please stand and join us in worship as we sing hymn number 308, Glorious is Thy Name.
that Jesus said to them. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father, except through me. To sing his name is life.
me invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 2. We've made it through the first chapter. Before we read the scripture, I want us to pray together. So if you would join me in prayer. Our Father, we come before you, and as the choir just saying, we, we do want to confess that you are great. Your steadfast love endures forever. There is no one like you. We praise you together. We praise you, Lord, even as we began with the words that Isaiah heard, holy, holy, holy are you. We thank you, God, for the many gifts that you have given us. And on this day, we pause and we thank you for the gift of a mother. Lord, I thank you for mine. I thank you that she is with you and no longer suffering. But God, I praise you for the mothers in our life. I just lift them up to you today, Lord. Many of them are, are struggling in many different ways. They're tired, working hard. Sometimes they can't see the fruit of their labors. They're wondering if it's worth it. I pray, God, that you would just strengthen them with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Bless them, Pray for those who this year are experiencing a first Mother's Day without their mother. Comfort them. Watch over them. I pray for those mothers who may be experiencing a first year without a child. I pray that you would comfort them and watch over them. Jesus, we know that you honored your mother and father. We know that you kept the law perfectly and you kept that part of the law as well. And even when Mary didn't understand what you were doing, you still honored her. And at the end of your life, hanging on the cross, you took care of her needs. Help us to be faithful, to honor our mothers and our fathers. Lord, we lift up the others in our church who are struggling. We, we lift up Rita to you, God, and we just pray again for healing for her body. She was a reliever of pain. Watch over her. And we lift up our pastor emeritus to you. I thank you for his life and for his friendship and his ministry to me and so many in this room. And we know that you can heal and we would pray for that. But we also know there comes time for ultimate healing and it may just be we're not ready to see him go. But we trust you. We pray for Myra and the children the grandchildren. We ask God that you would strengthen them. Thank you again for his great life and his ministry in this church to so many. 20 years active as a pastor, but the last 20 years, 22 still pastoring. Thank you, God. We come to your word now and we ask, Father, that you would bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word that we might be faithful to be everything it tells us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles and you're in James chapter 2, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. James says, 
My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, you, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, and not the rich, the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. While I was in seminary, I attended a church for the first year or so and worked with that pastor. It was a large church there and outside of Fort Worth. But then I went to camp, Lake Forest Ranch, where I worked, and I came back and and I began to attend a little mission church um, in Fort Worth. Um, they, they needed a pastor, and I attended for a few weeks, and then I, I took over and began to pastor that little church for about a year and a half. It was small. I met in a house right along the parking lot of a very large church. The large church was the mother church for that mission. They planted it. The church was huge. The mother church, not the mission church church was huge. It was on TV and largest in Fort Worth, but it was surrounded by a very poor neighborhood. Low-income housing everywhere, apartment buildings. Many of the houses that were there were halfway houses. There were those who had just gotten out of prison or those who were veterans who were not able to, to find a place to live and there was no place and they lived in some of these halfway houses. There were those who who were mentally unable to live alone, and so they lived inside those houses. You name it, and they had a halfway house for it. And the little church I pastored was full of those from that community. I can tell you stories. It was unbelievable, good and bad, and, and, and just amazing stories, especially in the prayer times. But that mission, as I pastored it, as I told you, was, was full mostly of of poor and uneducated people. The church that planted it was just the opposite. It was a who's who of the city of Fort Worth. There were professors and doctors and, and educators and many of whom were wealthy. It didn't take me long, and this is not just on a judgment, it, it, I believe it's true, it didn't take me long to figure out that the mother church planted the mission church so that the community would have somewhere to worship but not be on TV. That sounds harsh, but at least one of the pastors that was there, I was pretty sure that that was the case. I thought about that little mission church as I studied this text. James deals with a very real issue, an issue in his church of that day, but an issue that continues and hasn't gone away in our own culture. He deals with favoritism, discrimination. You could fill in the, the synonym for that, but he deals with favoritism and, 
and he deals with partiality and, and judging people totally on the basis of their outward appearance. In our text, he will argue against favoritism, 1 through 7. And then as we'll see next week in 8 through 13, he will show us God's law, specifically as it relates to the second of the greatest commandments that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then he'll wrap up the chapter, and I think it'll take us two sermons there from 14 through 26 to show us genuine faith, how that faith is lived out. And he will show us some things and then give us four different examples of how that's carried out in the Scriptures. But there's something in this passage. It's interesting. I, I was studying it, and I just couldn't, I couldn't find traction. A pastor friend of mine is also preaching through James. He's a couple weeks behind me right now. And, and he called me and said, how did you deal with one through seven? I know what it says, but trying to get traction for it. And, and, and then it hit me. I was reading one particular commentary, but, but it hit me what he's doing. Look at it at the first verse. My brothers, ladies, that's my brothers and sisters. Again, it's just the way he wrote. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. As you hold fast the faith, the faith, it's not just a faith or it's the faith. As you hold fast the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've seen those words before. They're in chapter 1, verse 1 where he talks about our Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in the ESV, that phrase, our Lord Jesus Christ, is used 64 times. But then he says something else. Look at the end of verse, two, of verse 1. The Lord of glory. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He, he could literally, it could be translated... As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious one. The glorious one. I think James gives us the key to understanding. That's your first point. He gives us the key to understanding everything he's about to say. And I don't try to stretch the, the truth of this, but, but he gives us the key to understanding not only this section of the Bible, but he gives us the key to understanding the entire Bible. Matter of fact, he gives us the key to understanding all of the Christian life. Jesus is the glorious one. Jesus is the glorious one. When we see Jesus as the glorious one, everything else falls into place. When we see Jesus as the glorious one, everything else falls into its proper place. Our, our to-do lists are covered. Our, 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 our values are covered. Our goals are covered. Everything about us falls into place when we see Jesus as the glorious one. When we see him that way, we, we walk, as, as Paul says in Colossians, we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, fully pleasing to him. We bear fruit 
in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. When we see Jesus as the glorious one, the all-glorious one, we walk in a manner worthy of his calling. If you value life as the world values life, everything in your life will be out of kilter. Everything will always seem to be off-balanced. And you'll never be what you're called to be. You'll never find the satisfaction deep inside. You'll, you'll always be yearning for something else that never will satisfy you. Because you're not meant to live for anything else but the glorious one. About 20 years after James writes this letter, the first letter in the New Testament, Paul writes to the church at Colossae. Colossians, we know it as. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He says, all things were created by him, by Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth, things that are visible and things that are invisible. And then he drops this, this gospel bomb in Colossians 1:19. He says, for in him, for in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the all-glorious one. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, he says it again, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's why he also says in that chapter, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus is the all-glorious one. The writer of Hebrews says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's our Jesus. So when you see Jesus, you see the Father, as he told Thomas. When you look out at this world, you know that it is Jesus who made it, and it is Jesus who holds it together. Paul adds in Ephesians that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Chew on that for a while. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's just a taste of what it means to say that Jesus is the all-glorious one. He is everything, and he must be everything if we're to follow him as Lord. John says that in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. So let's just change the word a little bit. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That's what he means when he says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. On down in verse 14 of John chapter 1, John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's our Jesus. He's the all-glorious one. The second person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Jesus, this eternal one, the all-glorious one. When we, when we see that, nothing stays the same. The things that we strive for fall into the proper place when we see Jesus. It doesn't mean we lose that goal. It just means that goal takes its proper place. When Jesus is seen as the all-glorious one, nothing looks the same. Our desires at their deepest level, when Jesus is the all-glorious one and we come to Christ, our desires are at every level, the depth of our level, the deepest level, are fulfilled and enraptured and overwhelmed 
He's the all-glorious one. We get that down. That Jesus is, let me say it again, the all-glorious one. Then we can see how crazy it is to show favoritism to anyone who walks on this earth. He gives us the key. He's the glorious one. But then he illustrates the problem. He illustrates the problem. So instead of reading, let me just picture it for you. The worship service has started. The room is packed. There's just one chair left. It's almost totally full. And two visitors come to worship. One is dressed in a custom-made suit of the finest material. That got my curiosity. I, I Googled to this past week, most expensive tailor-made suit. 800 and some thousand dollars. You got to be crazy to wear an $800,000 suit. care how much money you have. Has diamonds inside the fabric. He comes in, finest suit, finest dress shoes, finest tailor-made shirt, finest tie, finest everything. He's decked out with the most expensive watch that you can buy. He has rings that show the expense of, of his, of his um, taste and his wealth. He comes in. But with him comes another man. There couldn't be a starker contrast. The second man is dressed in rags. His clothes smell of years of homelessness. That little mission church that I talked about the first Sunday I went, I've shared this with you before. The first Sunday I went, I sat behind a lady who had this little down vest on and I watched as a cockroach crawled out of her hair and down her jacket. I thought, get me out of here. I'm so glad I stayed. That little lady is one of the godliest women I've ever known. A prayer warrior like no one I've ever met. She's gone to be with the Lord now. Live with an alcoholic husband who's, who spent all he made on alcohol. Lived in a house that was condemned, but the police officers let her stay there. I thought of her when I thought of this man coming in couldn't be a starker contrast he's dressed in rags if you've been around the homeless enough you know what I mean he he smelled of homelessness his clothes are stained you could see his dirty feet poking up through his taped up shoes there couldn't be a bigger contrast between the two men two men coming at the same time what do you do? James says the usher takes the rich man and gives him the best seat. But he says to the poor man, you just go stand over there. And the Greek gets it a little stronger. The English version doesn't get it just right. He says, or you, you just sit under my footstool. Just sit down under my footstool. That's all you're worth. Here's the problem. The ground that the cross is level. The wealthy and the famous don't have an upper hand with the cross. 
and the poorest of the poor are not in any way discouraged from coming or kept back because of their poverty. It's interesting, if you look in verse 3, that little word, pay attention, you pay attention to the rich man, it, it means to look at with favor. If you look at with favor the one who wears the fine clothing and you say these things. And then when you look at verse 4, it says, have you not made distinctions? It seems to be that, that the, the usher and the others in the church are, are, are reasoning that as this man comes in with the finest of clothes, we'll get something from him. But when you look at the one who's dressed in rags, you know we're not going to get anything out of him, but it's going to cost us something. I'll never forget a former professor in seminary who said, John, God loves the poor, but they don't pay the bills. I was in a church much like this one at the time, First Baptist Gunnersville. And he said that, and I was surrounded by my pastor at that time. I was a youth minister and by several deacons and others, and I wasn't about to try to embarrass that old man. He was retired, seminary professor. I'm glad he retired. But I thought to myself, when he said, God loves the poor, but they don't pay the bills, I thought to myself, that goes against everything the gospel stands for. James says, when you make distinctions based on wealth, or let me just add any outer appearance, you make distinctions based on nationality, you make distinctions based on color of skin, you make distinctions based on any outer appearance, you place yourself as a judge. And he says, when we do it, we have evil thoughts. Why? I mean, it makes sense from a human perspective, doesn't it? The rich man's tired to go a long way in meeting budget. He, he knows people. He's connected. We get him. We might get some more like him. We might be known. We might become famous. He could put us on the map. But James, he just in the spirit won't allow that kind of thinking. And in verse 5, he gives you the reason. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom? Which he has promised to those who love him. James doesn't say that God saves only the poor. That's not what he says. He doesn't say that at all. We, we saw in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1 that he, he saves the poor and the rich. And, and Paul writes in Timothy to those who desire to be rich and those who are rich. And so we know that there were those like Nicodemus who followed Christ. And history tells us that Nicodemus was one of the wealthiest men in, in the city. Joseph Arimathea had money. You know it by what they brought and gave to the Jesus to be buried. And so it's not saying that, that he chooses only the poor. But most of the followers of Christ in this world are not rich and famous. 
You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29? For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. How many times have we heard, man, if we could just get someone like Michael Jordan or LeBron James or, or Tiger Woods or, or you fill in the, the famous athlete who, who's making $100 million a year in endorsements, if we could just get them, if, if we could just get the head of that corporation to, to come to Christ, man, think about what they could do for the kingdom of God. But that isn't the way God works. It's not that God doesn't save people like that. But when billionaires come, and I wouldn't mind having a couple tithing billionaires in our church. But when billionaires come, we tend to give the credit to man and what man can do. But when folks like us come, when we see Jesus as the all-glorious one, and we don't make a whole lot, but we give what we have, and we tithe and we sacrifice, when we give like that, God gets the glory. I love the fact that our church is usually one of the smaller churches in the top ten that Lottie Moon Christmas offering gives. But we're always there. I love the fact that we give like we give to missions. And it's not because we're full of millionaires, but it's because you're faithful to give to missions. We're not quite at Annie Armstrong yet. We're about 20,000 away, so let's keep giving to that. But when, when we see Jesus as the glorious one, the all-glorious one, and we serve him, people say, what is it about that place? James goes on to show you how foolish it is to show people like that favoritism. He says, when you do that, you dishonor the one who, who lived on earth the way Jesus lived on earth. But you turn around and honor those, and he says it this way, who oppress you, who drag you to court, who blaspheme the name of Jesus. Now, let's just stop. Not all wealthy people are like that. And that's not what James is saying. But if you look at the Forbes Top 100, how many of them are in love with Jesus? How many of the most powerful and the most wealthy and the most famous are followers of Jesus Christ? There are some. Thank God for them. But we need to keep our eyes on the glorious one. Because when your eyes are on the all-glorious one, a billion dollars doesn't seem like much. When your eyes are on the all-glorious one, gold doesn't turn you on because the all-glorious one paves his streets with it. Keep your eyes on him. When we show favoritism, we show our values are coming out of the world. Look again at verse 5. 
He speaks of the poor as being rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom. Let me ask you, when it's all said and done and you stand before God, would you rather be rich in faith and an heir to the kingdom or a billionaire who wasn't a child of God? Do we value faith over wealth or wealth over faith? Do we value Jesus over fame or fame over Jesus? In the church, we worship and follow the all-glorious one who, who left the glory of heaven. We follow the one who came to the earth and was born in the stable to poor parents. He didn't go to the right schools. He, he didn't have the right degrees. He, he wasn't a part of the right crowd. When the religious leaders came to him, they most often came to try to trip him up. But there's an interesting verse that shows us something about Jesus that even the religious leaders saw it in Matthew twenty two sixteen. They're testing him, but they come and they say something interesting. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Are we like Jesus in that? Are we swayed by appearance? Are we swayed by fame? Do we care about man's opinion more than God's opinion? Yes, Jesus saves the poor and he saves the rich. But all must come to him in humility and all must come by his grace. No one can buy it. No one can earn it. Today, as a church, we, we must guard against favoritism. We must guard against judging people on the basis of their outward appearance. We, we, we show respect to our leaders, yes. And sometimes that's hard. But we show respect to our leaders. We honor those who are in authority. I'll be quite honest with you. If this room were packed and I had a seat and the governor came in, I'd give up my seat for the governor. I'd give up my seat for the president, even though I don't agree with a lot of things he believes. Not because he's better than me, but because I want to honor the position. But I dare say, I wouldn't ask a poor person to get up and go stand in the back so that a rich person could have a good seat. We cannot show that type of favoritism. We must look at Jesus, because Jesus and Jesus alone is the all-glorious one. People, people are poor in many ways. There are those who, poor, who are poor in personality. They're just dull. Love them. There are those who are poor in mind. I'm just looking at the back wall so I don't make eye contact with any of you. There are those who are poor in mind. They're slow and uneducated. There are poor, those who are poor in body. They're wrinkled and bald, overweight. I can look at myself there. We must refuse to make judgments based on outer appearances. We must look at the all-glorious one and know that the all-glorious one loves that person. And we need to see him as Jesus sees him. And ask Jesus to love them through us. That they might come to Christ. I'm not going to refuse to share the gospel with a wealthy person. 
I'm going to share it with anyone I can and trust God to save. But church, we cannot afford to be a people who show favoritism in this world. When we see the all-glorious one, it changes everything. Amen? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Father, we, we come before you and praise you. I thank you that you left the glory of heaven to come to this earth. And I thank you, Father, that Jesus came, that while many did not see the glory, their eyes were veiled by the enemy. But you've torn that veil apart. And you've let us see Jesus for who he is. But even now, the enemy still tries to veil us. He still tries to dangle out the things of this world. And Lord, we may wear the nicest of clothes and we may drive the nicest of cars and live in the nicest of houses. That's okay. Our significance doesn't come from that. Our significance comes from you and you alone. I thank you for those in this church who have demonstrated that over and over again. And I pray, Father, that we would all come to know that truth. That we would love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And that we would love our neighbor regardless of who he is or she is, that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Help our love to abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight. Help us to learn to approve what is good and best and perfect. Let us be pure and blameless until the day of Christ and fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God until he comes, until you come. May we live for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. If God's calling you to do something public, we'd invite you to do that today. Tim and I'll be here to help you with that. If it's a private decision, you do that. But let's make sure that we go out seeking to see Jesus as the all-glorious one. Let's stand together and sing.
I can be my worst critic. And sometimes the enemy is always criticizing. I stepped over there while you were singing and he whispered, well, that was a great Mother's Day sermon you just preached. <laughs> but you know it is. Because who loves us regardless of how we look or how we act like our mothers? That's what I answer back to him anyway. <laughs> Next week, we have a special time. Lake Miner's here and with Christian and Robert, and he's going to share just a little bit about a call that he has, and we're going to commission him. That is next week, right? As he leaves to go to Tanzania for a couple months, and, um, and I want you to hear about that. So be, be here. It is exciting to have babies dedicated and, and have new families, but also have fourth or fifth generation um, people in our church coming to be dedicated, and, and we're thankful for that and thankful for you. I hope you'll stay and be a part of Sunday school. Would you just bow your heads real quick and let's close with our benediction. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Ushers are at the door.